there is anything that I can say is in my heart to let people know, and I will let them know however they need to know it. It's this message right here as we deal with the topic and the issue of grace. All right? And so that's what we're going to be digging into. So Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and he says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I don't know if you're like you, but have you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, I don't like that? Come on, we can be, we can be honest in here. That, those moments where you're like, I don't know if I, I'm not cool with that portion. And so we quickly like read past it. And, uh, and I, I, I'm guilty of that as well. And this is one of those portions where you're like, mm, I don't know if I like that. We want to read past it, but it's, it's really important for us to understand. So Paul writes, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Verse 2, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our, of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath. Naughty by nature. That's just right there in the, in the scripture. As the others were also. But here's where it switches. Here's where it changes. Verse 4. But God. How many of you love the moment where there's a but God? Right? I, I like this part in the Bible. When I see but God, I know something good is about to happen. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ. So Paul says you were dead in your trespasses, but God has made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches, I love this, of his grace through his kindness. To us in Christ Jesus. If you have an idea that Christ isn't kind, I want you to see it right here in the Bible. That it's the kindness of Christ. It's an immeasurable richness of him. It's his nature and his character. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He is kind, right? The Bible says that the kindness of God draws us to repentance. That's why we say things like God is good. Because he's kind. But the Bible points those things out to us. And then verse 8, if we didn't have it, like if we didn't get it the first time he said it, verse 8 he says, for you're saved by grace. Through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We'll talk about that more next weekend. So today as we continue on in our series, Citizens and Saints, I want to speak to you from the subject, Stamp the Passport. Stamp the Passport. As we look at the amazing grace that we have in Jesus. Anybody want to hear about the grace of God this weekend? Because that's what we're talking about today. Uh, show of hands, how many of you love to travel? This isn't a trick question, just love to travel. Love to travel. M- most of us in here love to travel. How many of you are like me and you kind of love to travel? And here's what I mean by that. You hate traveling, but you like arriving. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, <laughs> If you could take the travel aspect out of travel and just, can we just call it arrival? I would be good with that. I'd be happy to do that. I hate, I hate traveling. I hate being a, a, a cow in a cattle line, right? I hate just being moved around from security gate to security gate. Um, I don't like what it is that they do to me. And I don't like the fact that I seem to be the guy every time that I go through security, I still have the one thing that they told me I couldn't have, right? It's in my pocket. It's in my sock. It's, in, like, it's on me. And they're like, sir, we told you you can't wear your belt. Yeah, but you told me I could wear my watch. Why can't I wear my belt? It doesn't make sense to me. And they're like, sir, you need to bring the attitude down. <laughs> what are we talking about? I'm attitude. I just don't want to take my belt off, <laughs> all right? 
And so I don't like the process of it all. I don't like the, I get massive anxiety when I travel just because of all, like, it's all there. And then I'm the guy, I don't know if you're like me, but no matter how many times you go to the bathroom before you get on the plane, <laughs> right at takeoff, you're like, I gotta go to the bathroom again. This is crazy. And here's the issue with it. Because I do think that it's, it's God's sense of humor. I fear every time that I get up to go to the bathroom on an airplane, turbulence is going to go crazy. More than it's ever gone before. And I don't want to be that guy who experiences turbulence in the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about? That's dangerous grounds. And so I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a fond traveler. I don't like to do it very very often, we were, Pastor Justin and I were in New York uh, last week uh, hanging out with some pastor friends of ours to kind of get some knowledge and some leadership guidance on some stuff. And it was a quick trip. We, were, we left on Tuesday, arrived back here on Thursday afternoon. So it was just turnaround as fast as we could possibly go. And so New York to Colorado was an awesome trip. Everything went great. And then we had like a 30-minute layover in Colorado, and then we had to hop on this small little plane. I don't even know if you could designate it as a plane. It's more like a box with wings that they hoped would get there. And... Um, <laughs> And we were on this plane, and we're taking out from, we're taking off from Colorado, uh, from Denver Airport, flying here. And I would say probably about 10 minutes into the flight, turbulence like I've never experienced before started to happen. Like to the point, like I was legitimately scared for my life, and, and, and so was Pastor Justin. And so we're in there, and I'm not even joking, I've never experienced turbulence like this before. The plane went sideways, down, up. I thought it was going to go like in a full-on flip over. I was freaking out. So the guy next to me, him and I got acquainted really nice. Because the minute the turbulence, I'm not even joking, I grabbed his thigh. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, we're going to be friends. We're going to be friends. I just don't like, I, I think we're defying what, like, we're defying the odds every time we get up in an airplane. We just weren't meant to do it. And uh, so I don't, I don't like traveling, but we've done some traveling. Erica loves traveling. Uh, we've traveled different places in the world, not just in, in the United States. We've been to, I had to travel back and forth a lot when I was in college because I was uh, in Australia. So I've done some big trips, and we've gone to Ireland, and, and Erica's more traveled than that, being in China and, and London and Paris and different places like that. And the one thing I love about international travel, and maybe you're like me, there's something very special about getting a stamp in your passport, isn't it? It's like kind of cool. Like, man, I've been to another part of the world. And it's, it's kind of like, oh, this is, you feel special. And you get your passport all set up. And I know, like, Erica, she wants her passport, like, just chock full of places that she's, she's gone. There's something, something kind of special about getting that, that passport stamp saying, you can be here, right? You, you, you can step into this country. You can step into this new place. You can experience your vacation, whatever it may be. And, what I want us to hear this morning is this is very much the tone that Paul is trying to use when he, when he writes Ephesians chapter 2. He's saying, listen, you were once dead in your sin and your trespasses, but God made you alive in Christ. He stamped your passport with this thing called grace. And he said, you can move from one position to the other position. You don't have to stay here. When I stamp your passport with my grace, you move from being dead to alive in me. And that is the fundamental course of grace. That is what grace is in our life. It is the passport stamp that says, where you were once dead, you are now made alive in Christ. You're now made alive in Christ. And so what is grace? I think it's a question that we have to answer. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 through 21 says this. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. 
Now, theologians and scholars would define grace as this, the free and unmerited favor of God. And it's attached to our salvation in Christ. And that's why Paul says it is by grace that you have been saved. Notice he doesn't say it's by your works that you've been saved. Notice he doesn't say that it's by your good looks you've been saved. Or your ability to work that job, or your ability to earn this money, your ability to do this, that. He, no, no, it's not on your ability at all. It is by grace. And you're going to hear me shout grace as many times as possible this morning. Because I, I want you to walk out of this door this morning and go, no, it's by grace that I'm saved. You can't earn it. You can't get it at Walmart. You can't pick it up on the side of the road somewhere. You ain't going to be able to earn that. You ain't going to be able to purchase it. It is a free gift from Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. We just simply say yes to that gift. But Paul writes in Romans, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, some Greek words that we need to understand because they're very important for us. So where the Bible says that grace, uh, sin abound, it meant that it was in abundance. Sin was in abundance. You ever noticed that before? Seems to be in abundance in our lives. So where sin abound, then he goes, grace abounded even more. The Greek word literally transcribes abound as this, super abounding. Now, I don't know if you're my age or older, but you remember the day when we used to diss each other on the playground? And someone would be like, oh, you got burned. Some of you don't know. The youth section is like, what does that mean? It's not on my phone. <laughs> oh, you got burned. And somebody would do something and say something else. We used to say this to be God. You got burned times 10. Remember that? Right? And they would keep it. Oh, you got burned times 20. And then somebody would throw the gauntlet down. They'd be like, oh, he burnt you times infinity. (laughs) Meaning you don't come back from that. You just can't say anything else. It'll burn you to the scope of infinity. And this is literally what, what Jesus is saying to sin. Where sin burns you times 10, grace times infinity. It's super abounding. It's super abounding. Wherever it comes in, like a freight train, grace comes back in harder. And it says, no, 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 I got this. No matter what happens in your life, no matter the decisions that you're making, you got to understand that, yes, we are going to mess up. Yes, we are imperfect people. Yes, we are going to make mistakes. And yes, we're even going to make decisions on purpose. But we need to understand that it's by grace we have been saved. There is a grace that God has for each and every single one of us. And it is stronger. It is bigger. It is better than the brokenness that we reside in sometimes. And that's sin. It's grace. And that's how they work together. So the Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 12 through 16, but I want to read verse 14. It says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I want you to hear this. Because if you ever, have you ever asked the question before? I wonder if Jesus gets me. Or maybe this. I wonder if he understands what I'm going through. You ever been there before? I wonder if he actually understands what it is that I'm feeling. And the funny thing is, is that many of us actually believe that he doesn't. We actually get to know he would never get this. This scripture right here tells us that he understands more than you and I could even fathom. Watch what he says. He says he's able to, un, uh, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but as one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 
So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to get how strong Jesus is right here. And I want to illustrate it with donuts. Okay? How many of you, come on, let's just be honest. Like, this is just a like, guilty pleasure moment. How many of you love donuts? Let's just be honest. We love donuts. Most, most of us do. The rest of you are liars. I'm just saying. <laughs> Donut Sunday is next Sunday at church, by the way. Every fifth, every fifth Sunday, we just want to plump you up a little bit. All right? So it's carbohydrates and Jesus. It's awesome. And it'll be Banbury Cross next week. So we'd, we'd like, <laughs> we go all out. All right? Okay, but let's just be honest. For those of us who are like really given towards like I want to watch what I eat. I, I watch what I put in my body. And maybe it's not donuts for you. Maybe it's another thing for you. But have you ever been in that moment where the thing that you're trying to refrain from finds itself right in front of you? You know what I'm talking about? Whether it's Oreos, Sour Patch Kids, donuts. It's pretty much my dietary consumption. And so I'm just playing. That's not all. There's some vegetables in there. Um, but when that thing, that donut gets in front of me, for me it's donuts. Like I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm eating healthy. And no, no donut formed against me will prosper. <laughs> but I want you to think with me. Close your eyes if you, need to, if you need to kind of remember back to that feeling. You know that feeling that starts to take place like in the gut of your stomach when the temptation's starting to win? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, you're inching closer to the donut. And they're like, well, it's just a small donut. And then you hold it. I've watched some of you do this in the lobby on Donut Sunday. And you're like, oh. Right? And then you lean over to your husband. You're like, take it from me. Take it from me. Take it from me. Right? Because the funny thing is, is there's this thing called temptation that starts to ride inside of us. Right? It starts to rise up. And there's this pull. Right? And then you kind of like, if you're really trying to watch what you're eating, you feel like maybe you start to break out in sweats, right? And you're just like, oh, like I'm trying to, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And then there's that moment, the breaking moment. You know the breaking moment? Where then you somehow in your mind justify it. You go, you know what? I'm just going to eat this donut, and when I eat this donut, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Right? I'll do a few extra laps, I'll jump around a little bit more in worship this time, right? <laughs> Just to burn off a few of those calories. And there's that break, that snap of temptation where you're like, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And the Bible tells us that Jesus has literally experienced every single temptation that you and I would experience without breaking. Think about the power in that. He did not break. So it's actually safe to say, from a logical perspective, that Jesus has experienced the pain of temptation and everything else in a greater way than you and I even have. Because we break. Right? We shift the pain by stepping into the things that we step into. And the reason that the Bible wants us to know this is because we now, because of the fact that he hasn't broken, we can approach Jesus and receive his grace because he understands us. I want you to look at me when I say this. He understands you. He gets what we're going through. He gets what we're feeling. He gets how we're walking through things. He gets the weight of what we're carrying. He gets the fear that we're feeling. He gets the insecurity that it is that we operate in time, sometimes. He gets the temptation of these things. Remember the first thing that happened when Jesus comes on scene? The devil takes him into the wilderness to try to tempt him. Think about that. 
This is important for us to understand because so many of us believe Jesus has no idea what I'm going through. But the Bible teaches us that he knows everything that we're going through. And we can run to him because he's got open arms for us. Because he's experienced what it is that we're experiencing. And he didn't break, so he said, come to me and rely on my power. You don't have to break. You don't have to experience this thing alone. You don't have to walk through this thing alone. Grace is the all-access pass to God. All his blessings, provision, love, mercy, and forgiveness for our lives. All right? But this is a hard concept for us to comprehend why. Because we don't experience it anywhere else in life. Right? Because every amount of relationship is predicated upon what we get out of the deal. And so there's judgment, there's recourse, there's all these things that we experience in life and we go, oh, that's impossible, impossible that we experience grace. And that, my friends, is why we call it amazing grace. How sweet this, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but then Jesus stamped my passport and now I am found. Come on, somebody, it's amazing grace. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of Jesus. And so grace... It's super important for us to understand. And I want to help us uh, grab a hold of some things concerning grace this morning. The first one is this. Every shot number one. The first thing we need to understand is that grace helps us develop an understanding of who God is. Grace helps us under, develop an understanding of who God is. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's good news. Watch what, he, watch what he says. I love this part. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, grace helps us develop an understanding of who God is. We call this... and. Theological terms, the nature and character of God. And grace helps us understand that. Why? Because a lot of us have the assumption and we've come to the belief because of experiences and places we've been and circles that we've sat on that God is judgmental. He's harsh. He's mean. He's a big kid in the sky with a stick who just wants to bully us. But when we read scripture, we see, wait, 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 wait a second. There's something else, that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, and we experience Jesus in what? Grace. We experience Jesus in grace. Grace describes and characterizes the truth of who God is. You know what I love about my wife? Is that in 13 plus years of marriage now, and many, many more to come, I'm learning her nature and her character every single day. Most of it's awesome. <laughs> she beats me up after church. Everyone, she's like, I can't believe you said that. But isn't that what marriage is for the married couples in here? Like we know, like it, it's a development of the nature and character of, of your of your spouse. If you're single in here and one day thinking about, you know, getting married and everything like that, you got to understand that one of the great things about marriage is that we're learning the nature and character of our, of our spouse. But I want to I suggest something to us, is that no matter what we do in the, in the scope of relationships, when we learn the nature and character of God, it helps us develop 
an appropriate measure of learning the nature and character of others. Why? Because how many of you know that we need grace as we learn about the nature and character of people? Come on, have you ever said this before? Lord, give me grace right now. It's usually on Thanksgiving Day when all the in-laws are in town. Give me, give me grace. Oh, help me, Jesus. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Right, you get up just before the kids are storming upstairs. Lord Jesus, give me grace right now. Help a brother, right? We need grace. And grace helps us develop an understanding of who God is. Okay, now I want to be challenging. Is that cool? Can we, can we work through this for a minute? It's interesting to me that the church has a tendency to represent the complete opposite of who Jesus is. The nature and character of Jesus is kindness. He draws people unto him. And so many times our churches are places that people don't experience the kindness of God. They don't experience the grace of God. That is why the well is trying to be what the well is trying to be. Because we want you to know, first and foremost, we want you to experience, I need to experience every single time I walk in here, the grace of Jesus. So that I can understand the nature and character of him. Oh, the day that the church would represent the nature and character of God in our generation. Oh, man, that would change a city. That would change a nation. That would change a world. Could you imagine if people would bump into the church and they'd say, golly, feels so much like Jesus. Feels so much like Jesus. To be the type of church that can bless a city because our church is like Jesus. Instead of the city despising that we're here because we don't look anything like Jesus. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? <laughs> so grace, first and foremost, helps us understand the nature and character of God. And one of the greatest things that I've learned about his nature and character is that he is the one who loves us even when we're not deserving of that love. You ever been there before? You ever say this? God, I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. But yet being rich in mercy, he put flesh on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Come on, think about that. He put flesh on and he walked among us and he died for us. That is amazing grace. He walked in our shoes. He understands us. He wants to be in relationship with us. His nature and character is good and it's full of joy and it's full of life and it's full of hope and it's full of wholeness. Why? It's his grace. It's his grace, church. Second thing is this. Come on over shot number two. Grace is an agent of change in our lives. Grace is an agent of change in our lives. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11 says this. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said in verse 4, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. Now I want you to get this picture. If you've never heard this scripture before, I want you to realize the weight of this moment. This woman wasn't somebody who signed up to get placed out in front of anybody. The Bible tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees caught her in the act of adultery. In other words, they were on a witch hunt. They were literally trying to find her. They knew where she was going to be at. And so presumably, 
They capture her in this moment, they pull her out of this situation, and they toss her into this circle with including Jesus amongst all of these men, and they said, hey, what are we going to do to this woman? She was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? I love what the Bible says. They asked this to trap him in order they might have evidence to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. How many of you want to know what Jesus was writing? Golly, that'd be awesome, right? Doesn't tell us. But it says they ask him this question, so Jesus stoops down. And he writes. And he looks up. He says, hey, you guys, those of you without sin, those of you who have never messed it up before, those of you who are living perfect lives, you cast the first stone. And then the Bible says that he goes back down to writing. Imagine. What these guys were thinking in this moment. Jesus is just kind of hanging out, writing in the sand, drawing pictures, playing like, I don't know, (laughs) tic-tac-toe. While this massive question is being asked, you throw the first stone. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, And only one was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. And here's what I've come to realize. We've gotten really good at trying to make people change before they come to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that says, you never have to change when you come to me, but my grace will change you. My grace will change you. And have you ever noticed that we want behavior modification first? Jesus says, no, grace first, change later. Grace first, change later. Grace first, change later. And this is a really hard one for us to grapple with because we're like, well, shouldn't we? Like, man, if you preach this message, Jason, aren't we giving license to sin? But here's my argument. When was the last time we needed a license to sin? Like, we're all pretty good at it. Like, in all honesty, we do it pretty naturally. So what I need is I need a license to approach Jesus. And his license is grace. It's the stamp of my passport where I can approach him and I'm like, God, I'm messing it up again. He says, it's all right, I'm with you. Come on. And as you experience his grace, your soul changes. As you experience his grace, your perception changes. As you experience his grace, your thinking changes. It changes in his grace. And so we don't have to work hard for change when his grace has already done the work for us. And I know that's super counterintuitive for some of us A-type personalities who are like, I just need it. Give me, Jesus, give me the three points. Come on, Jesus, give me the seven keys to changing. And he's like, I'll give you one key, my grace. Why? Because it super abounds. In infinite measure, it super abounds. Come on, because have you ever tried to change and then you realize this change thing is hard? Have you ever been there before? Right? I liken change to changing your eating habits, right? We did the whole 30 one time. I don't want to light that book on fire. (laughs) 
Right, so you do all these things. I know I'm talking about a lot of food. I'm hungry right now, actually. I want to eat something. So, but what I've noticed, though, so we started making all these changes according to the Whole30, and then what happened? You, you get, the, like, the, the headache from no sugar, right? And you, you get, like, you're starving all the time. And it even tells you, like, just wait, just wait. It'll happen. It'll happen. You're like, what'll happen? <laughs> and I think that's how we do it sometimes. We, we, we are so frustrated in the process that grace takes us through. Why? Because grace isn't just trying to change the behavior, it's trying to change the heart. And I want to submit something to you this morning, church. Our behaviors don't change because we change behavior. Our behaviors change because our heart changes. Heart changes. Right? Eric and I have this debate all the time when it comes to washing the dishes. She's like, I need you to help me wash the dishes. Why don't you, why don't you like, just like jump in? I want you to want to wash the dishes. I'm like, that is a theological impossibility for me to want, to want, to want to wash the dishes. What she's at, she's not, she doesn't want behavior modification. She wants my heart to change towards dishes. Think about it. I'm just trying to help you understand what we're talking about here. Why? Because if my heart changes, then I want to do it. You guys see what, see what I'm doing? My heart, I want to do it. That's what she said. I just want your heart to change about dishes. You need to have a come to Jesus moment concerning dishes. Because if your heart changes, then your performance will change. That's true. This is what Jesus is saying. Grace is the agent of change in our lives. Not your ability to perform and do. Because your willpower will run out. So I need his grace to change me. Why? Because it's in relationship that I change. It's in relationship that everything changes. Are you guys following me this morning? Number three, everybody shout number three. The last one is this. Grace is an invitation to intimacy with God. Grace is an invitation to intimacy with God. There's a famous story in the Bible. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Many of us have heard this, even if we've never read the Bible before. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in the story, a young kid comes to his father and says, hey, I want you to give me my portion of the inheritance that you owe me, that you've been saving up. And Which was, not like, the fact that this kid asked his father for this was, was mind-boggling as it was, because in, in culture, in their culture, for you to do that was a slap in the face of your family and your father. But the son does it anyways, and he says, I want my portion of the inheritance. And he was the younger son. The one who rightfully deserved it was the eldest son. But he comes to him and he says, hey, I want my portion. And so his dad, being a good father, says, hey, listen, I'm going to give it to you. Here you go. And the Bible tells us and describes for us the son goes off and, and he starts living crazy, reckless living. And he spends all of his inheritance and he finds himself one day with nothing. No friends, no money, no resource. And now he is working once again just to make ends meet. He finds himself feeding pigs. And the Bible actually describes to us the moment that the son has a wake-up call because he finds himself desiring the very food that he was feeding the pigs. That's how messed up things had gotten for him. And so in this moment, the son realizes, man, I had it pretty good at my father's house. And so the Bible describes to us this internal dialogue that takes place in this son's life. And he says, man, if I just go back to my dad and apologize I don't expect him to, to treat me as a son. 
but I know the slaves in his house eat better than I'm eating right now. And so all of a sudden, the sun gets up, the Bible describes, and could you imagine the internal like angst that's happening in this young boy? He hasn't seen his father, he's spent everything. Like you and I, he would probably think, man, what's dad going to think? I'm going to get there and I mean, is he going to just like swear me out, tell me to get, get out of here and, and not, not welcome me or not, not allow, allow me to do this? Am I going to be back here feeding pigs? And so he's trying to work out how he's going to apologize to his father and, and, and say, this, say this thing. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And so his father ran, he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. It's the touch of grace. It's the touch of grace, church. It was intimate. His son didn't clean up. He didn't go take a shower. He didn't change what he looked like. He was destitute and he was broken. Pig slop all over him, tired from the journey that he was in. And all of a sudden, a father who sees his son afar off is filled with compassion and love. That's my son. And the Bible describes a passionate father who leaves his position of authority to run at his son, to embrace him in all of his muck, in all of his mire. He held him. And then the son tries to get the word in edgewise, right? He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired workers. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. But the father didn't even answer the question. He didn't, he didn't in, engage in the dialogue. He said, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with the feast. Watch, here we go. We're going to connect it back to Ephesians, verse 24. In Luke chapter 15, he says, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He stamped his passport. Grace. The unmerited favor and love of God in our lives. Grace. This morning, church, I don't know what it is that you're facing. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what you've been wrestling with, but here's what I want to tell you this morning. There's enough grace in God's heart of love to save and keep safe for time and eternity. Every sinner that has ever or ever will live, and then enough left over to save a million more universes full of them, where there are such and then some more. There is enough grace available to give every saint constant victory over our things, and then some more. There is enough grace to meet and cope with all the sorrows, heartaches, difficulties, temptations, testings, and trials of human existence and more added to that God's salvation is an oversized salvation it is shockproof stainproof unbreakable and all-sufficient it's equal to every emergency for it flows from the heart of an infinite God freely bestowed and righteously given and we just simply say yes to it he's that good
is that good? And like Jeremiah, he said, there's this thing shut up in my bones, and you're going, what's Jason on today? I want to get this message out of my bones because it is the grace of God that saves us. Nothing more, nothing less. It's his grace. And some of us are that son today. I think, surely God cannot pick me up from this. Oh, friend, let me tell you, he can pick you up from this and so much more. He can pick you up out of that addiction. He can pick you up out of that sorrow. He can pick you up out of that brokenness. He can pick you up out of that thing. He can pick you up out of that fear. He can pick you up out of that insecurity. He can pick you up out of that situation. He is the God who picks things up. So come on in this moment as we stand.